In a television show, when someone goes missing, the world seems to stand still. The lives of everyone surrounding the disappearance are put on hold. Family members don't go to work or school. Even casual friends spend most of their time trying to help find the missing person. Eventually, life must return to normal, or at least as close to normal as it can, but for a time, the community comes together to help. In real life, however, that isn't the case. Or maybe it is somewhere, but in the forgotten town of Dunridge, New Hampshire, life doesn't grind to a halt when someone disappears. Here, everything keeps going, dismally chugging along with almost no fanfare or commotion outside of the typical small-town gossip. Zachary Williams, 19 years old. Emily Rodriguez, 15 years old. Hilary Roan, 64 years old. The list goes on and on and on. More people have disappeared here in a decade than anywhere else in a century. And as a result, we seem to have become desensitized to the phenomenon. Everyone here has convinced themselves that the world is a dangerous place where a person can go missing at any moment. And how would they know any better? The majority of the town's citizens have never left, never seen or experienced anything outside of this. No one ever leaves Dunridge, as the old adage goes. Maybe that's why no one seems to be asking any questions around here. Or maybe it's because if they did, they know they wouldn't find answers that made them feel any better. But it's time for that to change. My name is Elliot Campbell, and I am going to ask those questions. Welcome to Uncovering Dunridge, a project that is long overdue. As you can probably assume by now, I live in Dunridge, New Hampshire, a town you've almost certainly never heard of. Dunridge is a well-polished turd nestled among the fluffy peaks of the White Mountains. Yes, from afar, it must be beautiful. A quaint collection of homes surrounding a picturesque town center lined with barely hole-in-the-wall-sized mom-and-pop shops, the whole image dripping with reclusive charm. Up close, however, Dunridge is nothing but a dead end, a place where you're born to do nothing and then die. A Google search for famous people from Dunridge comes up with a single result. Giovanni Leone, a radio DJ from WDXA Radio whose show was syndicated throughout the state. That's right, even the most well-known person to have ever come from Dunridge lived and died within the limits of our boring little town. But I didn't start this podcast to share with the world just how boring one rural town can be. Now, I'm here recording this because despite appearances, Dunridge has stories that need to be told. For as long as I can remember, life here has been... weird, to say the least. Most people around here act like nothing is wrong, like this is just the way the world is. I think they're afraid. Maybe they think if they just ignore it that it won't seem so bad. Or maybe just that even if they acknowledge it, they'd be powerless to fix anything. And maybe they're right, but I can't do that. No matter how bad I may want to just ignore the fucked up happenings of this little town like everybody else, I simply cannot. I can't quite explain why, but I just feel like I have to share this with the world. Like I know that if I don't, then no one ever will. 
I bet I sound ridiculous. Hell, I know I sound ridiculous. And that's fine by me. No matter what you think just yet, I only ask that you stick with me for at least the rest of this episode and see just how ridiculous you think I sound then. It's been about a month since I finally decided to start this project and began gathering equipment, and about a week since I started preparing content and investigating, and there's still a lot of work that needs to be done before I can find some sort of explanation to make sense of any of the disappearances, but I had to start somewhere, and that somewhere was the summer of 1999 when I was 10 years old. While most think of the White Mountains as a cozy wintertime getaway, the summers here are hot and muggy. The gnats gather in dense clusters under the canopy and yellow jackets hover around tree trunks, desperate to antagonize unsuspecting passersby. The air is like a blanket, covering every surface in dense humidity, muffling the shouted words of kids playing soccer in an open field, the roaring engine of a motorcycle driving by on the other side of the hill, and the screams of my then-neighbor Ray as he watched his brother get swallowed by the forest that loomed over the clearing. Petrified by the knowledge that this would be the last time he ever saw his brother's icy blue eyes, welled with tears and wide with terror. Ray still lives here in Dunridge. He's a tattoo artist at Dunridge, Inc., and arguably the best artist this place has ever seen. I had an opportunity to sit down with him recently to talk a bit about the incident, and equally importantly, about what happened shortly after. From the day Ray's brother went missing, until we were in our early 20s, he seemed to have forgotten about his brother's entire existence. So I know you've had some gaps in your memory over the years. Do you remember the day that Trevor went missing? Yeah, I um, I remember it pretty clearly now. I'd like to say it's the type of thing you could never forget, but for a while that's exactly what I did. You forgot every bit of it. Well... What did you think happened that day? I mean, what did you think happened to Trevor? All right, this is going to sound awful, but for a full ten years of my life, I would have told you I never had a brother. You? Uh, Why? It's hard to explain, but I forgot he even existed. Life wasn't easy for me after Trevor disappeared. I was paralyzed by the whole experience. For days, I could barely get out of bed. What I saw that day, it went against so many things that I had known to be true. My young brain just... I just couldn't handle it, I guess. I think maybe as a form of self-defense, my mind suppressed or rewrote every memory I had ever shared with my brother. So you think that you repressed... Any memory of your own brother? I, I guess so. I, I mean, I mean, it's it's weird though, right? I, everyone I've ever told about this looks at me like I'm crazy or lying or both. But I, I swear, it, it's the truth. I, I had no idea he he ever existed. And what changed? I mean, you obviously have some of those memories back now, so. How did that happen? Well, I don't know, had to be shit almost 11 years ago now. I was out with a friend on a hike. And we were going through all the trails we used to hang out in as kids, and we ended up in that field, the one where he disappeared. I can't explain 
exactly how it happened, but it was like the moment I stepped foot out of the woods, I wasn't me. Well, that is to say, I was me, but not me now. I was a kid again. And you were there, and so was everyone else. And I could see him off in the distance, facing away from me. I knew immediately that it was Trev. I, I don't know how I knew, but I knew it was my little brother. He was just walking away slowly toward the tree line. I could hear someone screaming his name over and over. And it took a minute before I realized it was me. <laughs> I was running across the field toward him and screaming his name, but he wouldn't turn around, wouldn't look at any of us or even respond. My legs felt like they were on fire, but I just kept running. It's, it's like I wasn't controlling my own body. I was just along for the ride. And no matter how hard I pushed or how fast I ran, I couldn't get close to him. It felt like an eternity. He just kept walking head down, in a trance, until he reached the tree line. What happened next, I honestly don't even know how to explain. Can you try? As soon as he crossed into the trees, I looked up, and there was a shadow. A big, hulking shape. And it was kind of moving. Like, pulsing make out anything else about it really it was just kind of a mass of darkness all of its details hidden by the branches and leaves and Trev he didn't turn back he didn't flinch at all he just walked right up to this thing stood there motionless while well, it started it started to engulf him the next thing I knew I was me again I was on the ground, the edge of the trees, where it all happened. Everything was fuzzy, and I felt, you know, physically exhausted. Hell, I was so disoriented, I can't imagine I would have remembered who or where I was at all if it weren't for my friend. He was there to help me back home. And after that, you remembered everything. Your brother, everything. I, it's hard to say. Obviously, as I came to, I was... Confused, to say the least. I wanted to think that it was some kind of fucked up hallucination, but something about the way it felt was just too real. Something inside of me knew that it was a memory, not just a hallucination, but that only left me more confused. Anyway, I remember calling my mom that night when I got home. I thought that I must have sounded ridiculous. I completely expected her to tell me I was out of my mind. But when I explained what happened, she just seemed worried. She pretty much explained everything to me after that. That must have been a lot. <laughs> uh, you have no idea, man. It wasn't all at once, though. Over the next few days, I spent a lot of time with my mom, 
she showed me some of my brother's old things that she had put up in the attic. Told me about how worried she was when I forgot about Trevor, but she didn't know what to do. So she hid any evidence of him away. She even went so far as to make sure my teachers and my relatives didn't mention him around me, but even so, I can't believe I never found out. I'm sure kids at school talked about it, but to be honest, so much of those years after he disappeared are kind of lost up there, you know? Everything from that time in my life is just so hazy. Not even sure how much of what I saw in that vision is accurate to what actually happened. I mean, I'm sure it was heavily warped by so much time spent in my subconscious. Thank you so much for sharing all this with me. I'm sure it couldn't have been easy. Yeah, well, you know, over the years, it's it's gotten easier. The more I talk about it. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I I hope it's helpful for your uh, investigation. I remember those days. I remember my parents sitting me down and addressing me more seriously than they ever had before. I can't recall a time before then that I had ever seen my dad not smiling and joking around, but in that moment he was a different man. My mom was sitting on one of the kitchen chairs that she had dragged into the living room and placed between the couch and the TV, and my dad was on a second one just next to her. During those days, many of our conversations had been a competition to hold my attention between her and the television. But for once, she had not only shut it off without a moment's notice, but physically placed herself between it and me. On another day, I probably would have complained about it, but that day I could feel that I needed to listen. My dad was so visibly uncomfortable being in a situation where he couldn't smile or joke around and make everyone else feel happy. She explained to me what had happened with Ray and that I had to never mention Trevor again. I was confused and unsure if anything she was telling me was even the truth, but I listened. Tried to, anyway. We all did. From that day on, any time one of the kids at school accidentally brought up Trevor or memories that involved him, we all cut real quiet, not knowing how to unsay his name and hoping Ray wasn't close enough to hear. When I left Dunridge, Inc. after our chat, I was driving away from town on Breakneck Hill Road, an aptly named mountain road that winds from downtown at the highest altitude in Dunridge to the residential neighborhoods tucked into the crevices of the mountains. A ways across from me was the Cliff, a diner here in town. Much like everything else here in Dunridge, the Cliff is simply and appropriately named, as it sits on the edge of a steep drop-off, making for a gorgeous mountain view. Through the fading light of dusk, I could see the lights from the distant windows of the cliff and almost smell the scents of powdered sugar-covered pancakes and burnt coffee that I knew all too well. On the morning of the day Trevor had disappeared, we all met up there at the diner. There were twelve of us in total, and so Emily, one of the waitresses who's worked in that diner since before I was born, pushed some tables together when we walked in, welcoming us all and greeting us by name. And as I was driving by and thinking about the pleasant nostalgia of that morning and how fast it had changed into terror and despair, I saw something disturbing. At first, I almost didn't notice it. And when I did, I nearly didn't believe I was really seeing what my eyes were telling me was happening just across the mountain notch from me. 
Still having my field recorder present and ready, I managed to record the 911 call that I made through the haze of emotions. Dunridge 911, what is the address of your emergency? Uh, um, the, the Cliff Diner. I'm sorry, I, I don't know the address. And what is the nature of the emergency? Uh, I, I think I just witnessed someone d- die. I'm dispatching police and rescue now. Can you give me any more details? What exactly happened? I'm not exactly sure. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not at the diner, but I can see it. I'm uh, driving across the notch from the diner on Breakneck Hill Road, and I just saw a person fall from the parking lot and tumble down the cliff into the woods. Can you tell if it was intentional or an accident? I don't know for sure. I didn't see everything that happened, but there was definitely a car pulling out of the parking lot right after. Okay, are you still in the area? Are you safe? Yeah, I I pulled off to the side of the road to call when I saw it. Okay, please do not exit your vehicle. The rescue and police will be arriving momentarily. 